Welcome to the Friday Chillout podcast. This week we talked about how new encryption laws might force Signal to leave the UK. We talked about all the new stuff coming out at MWC in Barcelona, and also about Nokia smartphones becoming a lot more repairable and what that all means. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% supported by Nebula subscribers who get each episode a day early on Friday and with an optional video version as well as a thank you for their support. If you would like to get early access and support the show, go to nebula.tv slash chillout. Hey there, taping this Friday chillout in two different time zones. I'm Tristan, your co-host and writer-researcher for the Friday Checkout, and I'm in Australia. Martin, how are you? This is so exciting. You're about as far away from me as, as you could physically be, uh, and you have a very exciting background behind you. Uh, so finally, we're not just two bold men talking in a void, but you <laughs> actually have stuff behind you. Pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I'm recording from a family friend's house on their good internet. Uh, you and I very briefly tried satellite internet, and uh, we might talk about that later. Uh, as to how that went, okay, you might say, not great. Technically, you were able to communicate. I mean, it's impressive that we're able to talk literally across the globe at all. But uh, yeah, it was not the smoothest thing ever. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Martin, uh, a big week of MWC, which we'll get to a bit later. Uh, but let's start with a pretty interesting story bubbling away in a part of the world that has some bigger implications for a lot of other parts of the world as well. Uh, and that is Signal threatening, the qu- threatening to quit the UK over laws that may very well uh, halt end-to-end encryption. Uh, so Martin, I'll just very briefly introduce, introduce us to the overview of what's happening. But I guess this, yeah. caught your, this caught your eye because Signal might leave a whole country. Uh, and this is a modern country that's not a dictatorship in theory. In theory, yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so Signal, for those who don't know, I guess everybody knows, but it's an encrypted messaging service. Uh, it's the one that I use whenever I can. It's my preferred messenger. And uh, yeah, Tristan, what exactly is the news? Yeah, the news is interesting. It's basically the story has, uh, the story is the UK wants to bring out its own online safety bill, which is one of these terms for, uh, you know, they use the word safety uh, and it's always a bit unclear as to what that really means. But this is the UK's, sort of the the unkind way to put it would be the attempt to break end-to-end encryption. Uh, But, and it's sort of alongside the loud and scary claims that, you know, this is all to do with uh, CSAM and terrorism chatter and so on. And uh, as Signal themselves pointed out, uh, no one doesn't want to do anything to protect the children. Everyone wants to protect the children. But, yeah. Uh, and, and to be clear, CSAM is uh, child uh, abuse material, basically online. So images yeah, and videos yeah. and whatever of inappropriate children. Right, right. So... Terrible things happen. Everyone knows people want to do something about it. But um, uh, the way Signal described it is the idea that complex social problems are amenable to cheap technical solutions is the siren song of the software salesman. Uh, and that's kind of how it is. So um, the without delving into the UK politics, the idea is let's have kids not see all the terrible parts of the internet, uh, which, you know, is any, any person's goal in, in some way. But solving that technically is not possible without ripple effects across the internet. And uh, one of those, uh, as this law, which is actually set to come in in March, it looks like, um, and it might force companies to bypass encryption using device-side scanning, um, which uh, isn't just an occasional thing, but it would be all devices all the time and every message ever sent. So it would break the security of end-to-end encryption. 
And uh, Signal was at least saying we don't want this. WhatsApp said maybe a year ago that it wouldn't, you know, because this year's this this law's been bubbling around for an, for a while. But it said uh, we would we won't be a part of it. But Signal's the one saying we're actually going to quit the whole country. We're not going to play ball at all. They're willing to leave the country over this. That's that's a really bold uh, statement, especially for a country as important as the UK. I feel like culturally and economically, it's a it's a big deal. Um, I, I guess that the question uh, is whether the UK is alone in this uh, situation, because a lot of countries are thinking about similar ideas. Uh, a lot of countries think that uh, tech providers should not be allowed to play the, oh, I don't know what's going on on my servers uh, card. Uh, well, they th I think a lot of politicians think that this is kind of sinister or like it's, it's not um, a serious uh, um, stance. Uh, even though I think probably you and I agree, uh, or I'm interested to hear what you think, but probably you and I agree that um, privacy and end-to-end -end encryption in general is a super important uh, technology that might be more important than than constant surveillance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so I'll, I'll let Signal talk because uh, their president Meredith Whitaker said said very nicely said if we were given a choice between kneecapping our privacy guarantees by implementing such mass surveillance or ceasing operations in the UK, we would cease operations. So very well said. Yeah. And I guess, Martin, like the, when you talk about this with sort of regular people, they say, "Well, I don't do anything wrong, so I don't mind." Um, mm. But as unfortunately, you always have to remind people, and uh, this is what the electron, uh, Electronic uh, Freedom Frontier Foundation. Frontier Foundation. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, they always remind you, it's like having the government by default read every single message you've ever sent uh, is, isn't the problem. The problem is that they make mistakes. And so... Uh, being able, having your having all your data read leaves you open to mistakes and red flags and you know doing very little to actually stop anyone who's hatch, hatching some kind of master plan to you know take over a bank or whatever so uh it's always it's always ineffective it's, and the country it's is always Apple, a slippery slope right like this, this right, is always right. the argument that you make that like once once you remove end-to-end -end encryption and proper privacy then where does it stop like what can your data be used for and what what rules can be made after that that, yeah, that's right. That's right. I was just going to say the country of Apple looked into device side scanning uh, or client side scanning, copped huge backlash, and then went sort of went in a different direction. So, uh, yeah, not good from the UK. It does seem like it's going to become law though um, uh, through their complicated two house system uh, in Parliament, and that all sounds horrible. So, um, good luck to the UK. Some, some funny people in wigs will vote on this for sure. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, we can move on to happier topics because uh, that one's. Yeah. Uh, I think Signal did the right thing, by the way, just in terms of like, yeah, I don't think anyone really cares about this law outside of the UK. But once you hear about Signal leaving, you start to be like, oh, what's going on? So um, yeah. at least that's effective. Uh, anyway, yeah, more fun topics, Martin. Hell yeah. Uh, although, just to be clear, we don't know for 100% whether the law will pass, and we don't know 100% if Signal will leave if the law passes. So even though they said they will 1,000% leave, we're actually <laughs> far from certain whether that, whether that will happen. But it's it's a real possibility. But yeah, let's move on. Okay, cool. So we move on to MWC, uh, where um, I'm going to say the pun, uh, companies rolled out plenty of concepts. Huh, huh. Uh, <laughs> Okay, uh -huh. you did. You did laugh. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it, um, it actually took me a second. I'm terrible at puns, so uh, I'm happy that I, at least I got it. But uh, yeah, that was yeah, that was so, a bad one. 
even for you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, no, so so this is talking about um, some devices that came out. So like the Moto Riser, which was the rollable phone that essentially takes a little small small phone and made it taller via a screen rolling upwards. Um, and that came out of Moto's 312 Labs division, which I hadn't heard about previously. Um, I thought it was more tech demo and rough than something futuristic. Uh, what do you, What did you think? Yeah, this uh, the phone specifically. First of all, I love the name. Riser is so stupid, especially since they have Razer with an A, Riser with an I. Love I, it. Like I, it's a great. Okay, so I actually saw that's a that's an old brand name that they had in yeah. like you know two thousand and six or something. So they same they as are, the Razer. Yeah. Right, right. So they are reviving something. I don't know if anyone's like, yes, finally Riser's back, but. Yeah, I think nobody, are. nobody except for like a random fifty-year-old nerd somewhere in Motorola headquarters went like, "Yeah." <laughs> but for the rest of us, it's I still find it funny. Anyway, yeah, I find this uh, this prototype specifically to be, I mean, it's technically interesting, and I think it's good for companies to experiment with form factors, and you really only see the 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 positive and the negative sides of a form factor once you bring it to market and people have you know uh, the opportunity to play around with it so i'm i'm all for i'm all for this uh, this is the kind of things that uh, stuff that apple does behind closed doors and they just never show it to you un- unless they're very confident for example but yeah i'm happy that this is happening in the public it's good entertainment but yeah for for all this complication to be added to the device of a motor a screen that fa- folds uh, um, moving parts everything um, and of course as the screen extends it actually becomes like this like almost floppy little thing that points yes, out of your phone yes. that's kind of fragile um so for all of this complication all you get is a phone that's a slightly weirdly too small when it's closed and slightly weirdly too long when it's open so like it, it's it's not a big enough change uh you don't you know switch between for example a phone and a tablet which is what you get on a a, a, a foldable like my my samsung for example so I don't think it is like a, a big enough change for it to be worth it, but no, no, I'm all for yeah. the experimentation. I think that I think there's so many negatives that it's that's obviously a very silly device that you would you wouldn't use. But clearly, like we're, we're trying to we're seeing all these companies say everyone wants a little device that can become bigger, uh, and it just still feels really early in that stage. Other other than foldables, uh, mm. which don't sorry foldables aren't that cool. They just fold. Like you know, there's not like well, a little sliding mechanism. Rude. There's not a little yeah. <laughs> like, rude. Yeah, we're just not quite there. And, <laughs> but you can see with that idea, everyone wants a little pebble in their pocket that can become a huge screen. You know, it's just yeah. Uh, I, li- I I love the fact. I think the best thing is that that we've already gotten so used to foldables that we already think that they're boring and that this technology is like mundane. <laughs> like it's great. Yeah. That means that actually the industry is doing exactly what it should be doing. Just relentlessly moving forward and making things that looked like magic just become normal. Yeah. Well, I thought the magic device, the better device, and I'm interested in your thoughts, is was the like the extending laptop. So uh, this was also a Lenovo. I say also Len- Lenovo made this laptop, which is you know it owns Motorola and maybe Motorola was involved with this. Who knows? But uh, so it was a laptop uh, with a, I think something like a 12.7 inch four by three screen. And then it rolled out an extended, uh, like t- turned itself Upwards. into a tall boy. Yeah, so yeah. a portrait-oriented 15.3-inch screen. Uh, and the aspect ratio is 8 by 9, which I don't know, it doesn't mean that much, but it's kind of like stacking two 16 by 9 windows on top of each other. So you can imagine you've yeah. got quite a quite a higher screen. And 
It certainly didn't look like a solved problem. Um, like, it, you, I don't think you would people would buy it as it looked. Um, so, because I don't know what you would do if you shut the laptop screen with the thing extended. It was, it's all a bit funny. But again, the same idea. You have a little laptop with everything there, and then you get a whole bunch more screen just by pressing a little button, and, wh- and away you go. Um, what did, did you think that was cool? I did. I don't know. I thought it, I thought it made more sense than the phone because. Yeah. Um, because the difference between the two screen sizes is actually quite major. Um, you basically get a screen that's almost twice as big. Yeah. And uh, you can do a work on a document. Uh, they specifically mentioned uh, developers, obviously software developers. You want to see a lot of code at once. Uh, or or like working on a document, you can probably see basically like an A4 paper all at once uh, on the screen. So, eh, yeah. I mean, it's probably still too complicated for what it is, but more power to them bring yeah, in more I, fancy prototypes yeah yeah i kind of i was kind of a fan of the foldable laptop as well uh that was all just screen and uh, but anyway this yeah. again this seemed like it might be cooler but i'm not sure um okay other give stuff it, give so it two more years and then we'll have something fun <laughs> yeah that's right it did look very gen not point half point four <laughs> not gen one yeah. um Okay, so Nokia repairability. It seemed like Nokia came out um, and said, uh, we worked with iFixit and we have much more repairable phones. And some I, I saw a journalist say that uh, with a little bit of help, uh, just in terms of like being shown how it works, these new Nokia phones uh, that came out, could uh, he could change a battery in seven minutes flat um, uh, by you know popping off the back. And it was still a, a, a nice sealed um, phone. So uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about those Nokias? Um, and what you liked about them or is it just as simple as yeah more repairable phones is fine that's basically the gist of it so the the main model the one that we're interested in is the nokia g22 it's the successor to the g21 it is a normal looking phone by nokia standards which means it looks kind of old (laughs) still has a teardrop notch and all the weird things that nokia likes to do but anyway it looks like any other nokia phone it costs 180 euros so that the interesting thing about this is that i think a lot of the repairability from other brands has started at the premium end like apple will let you repair their iphones or or samsung will let you repair their galaxy s23 um but but what's kind of cool is that this is a phone for somebody who wants to have the sort of peace of mind of it being repairable but doesn't want to have an incredible flagship Um, and i find that this is actually a really interesting positioning because um so the the specific promise that they make is that the battery the display and the charging port should all be relatively easy to replace you just need to uh, uh you don't even need to heat up the phone so you don't need to like get rid of all the glue and adhesive like on other phones um you just need standard iFixit tools couple of screws a uh, couple of pull tabs you're done it's not quite as easy as a fair phone for example or a shift phone but it's something that like realistically a person can do without being scared to death which i always have this this um this feeling uh with all the other repair programs from apple and samsung and everybody else that like it's technically possible and they it's nice that they give these uh, schematics and these repair manuals because if nothing else then like you can just go to a random repair shop and they can do it for you but like realistically to expect a random person to do this repair is yeah it's <laughs> very optimistic to say the least yeah the the galaxy s23 ultra got decent fixability scores repairability scores this week and um part of it was like oh yeah you just have to heat up the phone with at the back and then the 
tear off the silicon, you know, pry it open, and it's all quite easy. Then you can just, and it's still that's still a problem. And I, not so much for the undoing it, but how, how do you fix it once it's you know, like the normal yeah. person is going to find that way too hard, um, even yeah. though it's way better. So the, this this Nokia phone still had an IP rating of fifty two, which is some yeah. but not a lot of protection against dust and water ingress. So it's it's not bad. That's the yeah, that's kind of the trade off, right? Because then you ask which one is more important for longevity: the fact that your phone survives the water uh, drop in a pool in the first place, or the fact that you can replace its battery once it's broken. I don't know. The answer yeah. is I don't know, but I think I think it is cool that the phone had repairability from the start, like from the launch. It was built with uh, iFixit and uh, spare parts available at launch, which is important. It's clear that if this is not an afterthought, but this is like the primary marketing for this phone. Um, and I think the fact that this is a cheap phone is great because it means that if you um, wanted to have a repairable phone in the past you needed to spend four or five hundred euros uh for it now you can do it for much less and i think i think it's a it's a good direction the phone itself is like it's just everything that's wrong with it's nokia meh. honestly Super meh. yeah for 180 euros i mean you can't get too much but like it's a damn unisoc chip it's four gigs of ram i think it's just like a very meh phone and you um, tweeted this on uh, at Takata and and tooted it on Mastodon, but uh, mm. Android it comes with Android twelve and only two version upgrades uh, and yeah. three years of security patches. It's you know it's like they're saying this is a very tired old phone that probably won't last yeah. you that long, even though you can fix it. But you probably yeah, it will probably be it. slow and be outdated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I always have I always have to keep in mind that whenever I talk to regular people. They not only not know what version of Android their phone is running or iOS, like like not even in the ballpark. Like they don't know if it's four hundred fifty yeah. or two. <laughs> but, but that is not same anywhere for, in the same ballpark. Same for iOS, by the way. Like you know, people like the the average person has no clue what version of software their phone is running. Has no interest in knowing what version mm. of software the phone is running. We prefer not to know, <laughs> and and is specifically annoyed whenever they get an update and is trying to avoid it at all costs because they associate updates with having to reboot their phone or maybe something getting broken after it's rebooted, mm. losing their notification. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, probably especially the person who cares a lot about the repairability aspect. I guess a lot of those people are like just vaguely technical. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if this is like the most important part of it, but if you compare it with a Fairphone, for example, there's there's a reason to get a Fairphone over this, that you actually get really good software support. Sure. And I've seen I've seen people there. in Berlin with the Fairphone, like just in the wild, people who I haven't previously screened to be a tech person or something. You know, so. Yeah, people uh, exist, and we have we have uh, some <laughs> Fairphone users in our Discord as well. So uh, techies use it as well. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so I just want to one last thing on MWC, and I'm just going to uh, rant about this because it's, it's not a, not a rant; it's just very funny. So um, always love a good rant. Go but, for it. But when you, when you go to these events, uh, I guess GSM who put on the uh, put on um, MWC. Sorry, these are all acronyms, everyone. But um, I don't. I almost forget what the the, the full names of these um, companies are. Uh, MWC being Mobile World, Mobile World Congress and GSM being the um, Okay, I can't remember what GSM is, but it's it's what it, it's what all the telecom uh, companies are part of. Uh, this sounds very intelligent, but anyway, they 
these giant companies like SK Telecom and Orange and uh, every large telecommunications company, for some reason, they must have to spend half their marketing budget on a big hall, uh, like putting up a huge pavilion in one of these big halls and saying, yes, yes, we're, we're these famous telecom companies and you need to come and witness us. Uh, and so by doing that, they what they try and do is put some sort of experience to attract regular people to go and, you know, try like a roller coaster or uh, wearing a VR headset or um, bungee jump wearing a VR headset, whatever it might be. Um, but uh, a, a journalist at the very straight-laced outlet Associated Press said um, they went to the SK Telecom booth and there's a VR experience of an air taxi, which sounds kind of interesting, but it or the reality was completely horrible. And the quote was something like, the virtual reality goggles combined with motion simulating seats pitching back and forth and side to side made me feel like I was actually hovering and maneuvering in the air. Great. They also made me so nauseous that I had to close my eyes for the rest of the three minute journey and felt sick. <laughs> I think yep. that's great. <laughs> straight, straight to puke town. <laughs> um, and and for people Wonderful. wondering, so the GSMA, I think, is the the organization, and it's the alliance of uh, companies that work on the GSM standard uh, for telecommunication. And MWC was originally their show. It's originally a show for mobile carriers who work on the specific uh, uh, telecommunication standards. And it only became like a consumer show because, of course, phones are part of this uh, and, and chips and everything. But it's 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 primarily a show for boring people in suits in telecom companies making deals with like random equipment suppliers <laughs> for their new cell towers. And because none of that is exciting, the only way that they can get you in is by uh, giving you a tech demo of a VR flying machine that will make you puke. <laughs> yeah, okay. I... I should you rely on you for remembering a lot of this stuff, whereas I'm <laughs> there we always, go. always very good. <laughs> uh, the, other, the other cool thing is that, so that was talked about as being metaverse, um, but is it metaverse? And so the SK Telecom manager who was quoted said, technically it's not metaverse, but kind of metaverse, which is very fun, really. Like is all, yeah. is, so not all VR is the metaverse, but is all metaverse VR? <laughs> I uh, I think I think we could just give up on trying to specifically define this it's vaguely vaguely the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, I I think one of the outcomes of of uh, MWC though is that like there was no real five G metaverse happening. People were just a bit more quiet about it. Also, I don't know. Yeah, we actually heard uh, reports from The Verge about uh, Facebook. Well, what is it? A meta now uh, mm-hmm. laying out their internal roadmap for their VR and AR and metaverse uh, business unit. And, the hardware, and yep, um, yep. saying that they are going to have um, a new Quest 3 this year, which is going mm-hmm. to be half as big. And it's going to have the same kind of pass-through capabilities as the Quest Pro. They're going to have a new low-end uh, Quest, again, uh, for uh, price-conscious people, and then something high-end uh, as well. And by 2027, they plan to have AR glasses that will replace your phone and that will be used as much as phones. That will make them apparently ridiculously rich because they can track everything you do and they can serve you the best ads ever. That's the plan. <laughs> so they're <laughs> so they're very excited. So uh, I think I think the uh, the metaverse is still uh, yeah it's still a while off, but um, they're very excited about it. Martin, if I was a 
product manager at Meta and I was getting paid a lot of money and I wanted my job to remain viable, I would also have a roadmap where at the end of the roadmap, we were all wearing AR glasses that replaced uh, phones. That's, and that's we a fair making, point. We my roadmap would also include all of us winning and making a lot of money and the product that we're working on will be amazing. That would be my roadmap as well. That is a good roadmap. <laughs> Hired. <laughs> Hired and retained. Tristan, um, my roadmap for the Friday checkout is that we'll have 73 million subscribers by 2024. Uh, and we'll be all billionaires hmm. sitting on boats. Actually, so, I don't want the boat. I don't. I don't know what I'd do in a boat. But uh, just, you can jump you know, off just and as a theoretical. Diving. Oh, <laughs> there we go. Scuba diving. There we go. I like yeah, it. Yeah. So, so you failed because you set that for that target to be next <laughs> next year. You, you can't. You've got to give yourself a few years at least. Otherwise, uh, you get okay. fired too fast. So yeah. Yeah. Fair um, enough. But I can't okay. get fired. I'm. <laughs> it's fine. I can just fire myself. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's just a holiday. Oh, okay, Martin. The last thing in our in our news before we get to the mailbag is uh, this morning. Uh, Foxconn sounds like it plans to invest a lot of money, seven hundred million dollars, uh, on a new plant to make iPhone parts in India. So this isn't just uh, another uh, percentage of assembly that it might shift from China, but actually making iPhone parts. Um, and there's something like the plant is expected to create a hundred thousand jobs. So that sounds like a pretty big plant. Um, what do you think? More, more, just, just more of this narrative around uh, shifting manufacturing out of China into other places? Yeah, so the previous numbers that we found was that apparently Apple makes around 5 to 7% of iPhones, of the global iPhone uh, shipments in India. This is the assembly. So, so basically, they ship in all the components from around the world, and then they assemble them in India, and then they sell some of that in India, and they sh uh, ship some of that to countries around. Um, uh, they're planning to increase that ratio to 25%. So they're going to move a lot of... Um, iPhone assembly and all other Apple products assembly into India, um, whereas now it's the components as well. So the components are probably the hardest part. Uh, mm. Those always take longer. The assembly is a relatively technically easy thing to do. Uh, you, you just put things together. Um, but uh, yeah, we can. Anyone I mean, can do it. That's an over. <laughs> that's an overstatement. But uh, compared to manufacturing really complex components, uh, it is sure, it is sure. easier. Yeah. Um, and you can move that first and then and then move component suppliers one by one uh, over to wherever you want to do things as well. We see uh, Apple is still really slow. And I think they have to be very careful with this move because they rely on the Chinese government giving them access to the Chinese market and to Chinese consumers and not smashing them like they've smashed most other tech companies. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons why the Chinese government lets this is because Apple is such a key uh, manufacturer and such a key employer in China. They have they employ like hundreds of thousands of people there, both on the manufacturing side and on the research and development and sales side. So they're extremely lucrative for the Chinese government. And not only have they supplied the Chinese market for China uh, from China, but also the rest of the world from China as well. So this was like a huge trade account surplus yeah, and the, massive the, value generating. The, the, su the supply chain and the expertise gained from that just flows out through those regions where these where these uh, production facilities are, yeah. Exactly. So they have to dance on this very fine line that uh, they have to diversify because it's clear that geopolitical tensions 
are pointing towards more and more of our supply chains not being compatible with each other. Um, and you have to at least have the capability to make everything outside of China. You can't be reliant on them fully. Um, but they have to leave enough there so that the Chinese government doesn't say, mm, <laughs> none of this market for you. Wait a second. Because uh, <laughs> that would... Uh, I actually wonder, do you know if, if Apple is their biggest or their second biggest market? I, I assume that by now it would be probably... It's probably their second biggest market. I think it's still behind the US. Probably behind the US, yeah. Yeah. Because US has crazy high iPhone sales rates. Yeah, probably. Uh, but somewhere in the neighborhood of biggest to second biggest uh, market for Apple. So they really cannot afford uh, to to lose this market. Sure, sure. Okay, Martin. That brings us to the mailbag where we, but mostly you, answer questions or thoughts from our readers. Um, Maybe this week it will be you. I'll just point them <laughs> back at you. <laughs> all right well let's see but someone specifically asks what do you think of the new nokia logo god damn it uh well tristan what do you think <laughs> i liked it i thought it was fancy I, I thought it was cool uh i think visually it looks uh like it's a pretty logo like it's not mm-hmm. anything that's ugly or offensive i no. think it feels a little bit um generic like it feels to me a little bit like uh you know, like the old Nokia logo, I don't think it was a pretty one, but it's it's this typical like iconic, like yeah. very like yeah. timeless, yeah, uh, thing. It's been around forever. You know, a hundred years from now, it would be the same logo, and you wouldn't feel differently about it. Um, I feel like this new one feels very much like somebody made it now, and in ten years, it's going to go out of fashion. So I'm a little bit worried about that, uh, but I think it's pretty. It's fine. Did you? Did you, are you on board with, the, with like why they changed it? Sort of because they're they're moving so far away from that con, the consumer electronic space, and they don't want people to see that Nokia logo and be like, I remember those phones. They want to be like, oh Nokia, what do they do now? They do something else, right? Yeah, I mean that's always why people rebrand because they want they want uh, consumers to look at them and think, oh something has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, part of this rebrand was that they actually dropped. Uh, all mentions of their consumer products of, of so basically the products from HMD um, they've dropped the mention of those uh, on their website interestingly HMD by now makes a lot more than phones well technically they don't make anything I think they're, they're all outsourced but they have yeah. a lot of like TVs and earbuds and like they've, they're trying to build like this whole ecosystem of random yeah. products from other companies that they slap the Nokia logo on um, so yeah I mean Makes sense to split these two. I just made a whole video about Philips, essentially. I was just going to say this. This sounds like the Philips spinning, story. Yeah. Spinning off everything and, and just like uh, letting anybody use their brand, essentially. Yeah, kind of the same yeah. thing. Yeah. The uh, the thing I was going to add uh, was the a bunch of the Philips guys work for TCO now, um, especially in their audio departments. And... Uh, they basically were saying, yeah, Philips was the training ground for all of us. <laughs> and now there's all these Dutch people um, who work for TCO in China, uh, putting out audio products and all sorts of other stuff, yeah. I mean, Philips had 350,000 employees. That is crazy. That is such a crazy number. That's a really They're good down video. to like 70,000. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, people are watching it. I'm very happy about it. <laughs> oh, that's but good. Yeah, it, it was... Uh, it was it's it's an insane transformation from like 
I think literally one of, if not the world's most important, probably not the world's most important, but definitely one of the top, top, top companies in the world to like, yeah, eh, we yeah, make yeah. MRI machines. Still very cool. Uh, I think those machines are actually like really impressive if you look at them. But um, I mean, just a way smaller it's just, business. Yeah, it's just something else entirely. Yep. Uh, okay. Speed. This is kind of a good question for you. Again, this is very much for you. Um, how do you decide which products or topics to feature in your videos? I struggle. I have a list of uh, about 500 things that have come to my mind before. I've and, seen the list uh, and it is, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, but it's, how do you, how do you decide which of those ideas or thoughts actually will excite people enough to, to want to watch your video or that you feel like can deliver something insightful? Yeah. Uh, I bother you with it. Uh, I bother Maya with it, my girlfriend. Um, and, uh, so I always pick like the ones that I think are like somehow, I often try to pick something that's timely because, uh, obviously if something yeah. is on people's minds, it might perform better. Um, but then also just generally, I try to imagine whether I could make a, a thumbnail and a title from either of them that would be mm -hmm. clickable. Mm -hmm. yep. If no, that it's very hard for me to motivate myself to like spend three, four or five days to do the research to even start writing it. Um, yeah. So I, I ideally imagine that there's a good thumbnail there. And then if, if it is, and there's a, like a spicy story then I, I try to go for it. And cause this is, this has happened to me. I, I say, I say it uh, in, how, how am I trying to say this? Basically, how many things do you start researching? You get three days down the track and you're like, I actually, a lot. Is, uh, yeah. Cause I've done that once or twice where I've been like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then you, you realize it's just, people aren't gonna you're just that's not delivering boring. anything that's really interesting yeah <laughs> yeah like people would have to be very bored to be watching that video sometimes <sighs> is, is yeah. the point that you get to i guess yeah okay that's trial and error yeah okay uh last question and this this one should be an easy one would you be comfortable in a self-driving car would you trust it hmm so i would definitely right now not trust it in the sense that i just take my hands off unless it was like a waymo or something like that where it's mm -hmm. um, a predetermined route in a city with predetermined conditions and in a city that always has good weather and you know whatever so there are specific uh, uh self-driving versions that i think are reasonably trustworthy probably as trustworthy as humans or even more so but I would not get into a Tesla and then fall asleep at the wheel like that. <laughs> Def definitely no. Yeah. And I, and I think not in the yeah. next multiple years. It's kind of curious, I think, because apparently the way it happens is you get into a Waymo in San Francisco and you're like, holy, there's no one behind the wheel. This thing really. And you're like, you wait for it to take the first turn and it, and it does. And you're like, oh. And then you wait for something bad to happen and nothing bad. And after five minutes, you're kind of completely over it. You're, like, you're no longer yeah. thinking actively about it. So um, it seems like it is possible, but yeah, there's still a lot of problems if uh, outside of these per very strict parameter-based uh, operations uh, for now. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I also would just rather not take a car. I knew you were going to say that. I knew. There we go. I managed to bring my anti-car agenda into this conversation. Yes. Just ride a bike. It's so fantastic. Like you have, you have fun. You work out. You get to see the city. You get to be part of it. Uh, it's good for you. It's good for everyone. Ride a bike. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very good. I, I'm not going to tell you about how much I have to drive living out on this farm. But 
You do, you do uh, for, for the viewers, you do basically live on a farm in the middle of rural Australia now, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Yep. So um, approximately 400 kilometers from Sydney. Um, wow. Uh, and the, the, you know, you, you can't really see your nearest neighbor. Um, and mm. it takes, you know, five minutes to drive from one end of the farm to the other to, to like leave the farm to be on the, on the roadway to um, a little dirt road. And then you have to go over a bridge and then you're on an actual paved road. And then you're sort of getting back to civilization, I suppose. Um, this is where public transportation should play a great role. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a morning bus for school kids. That's nice. <laughs> oh, so there actually is, even there. Yeah. Amazing. Nice. Yeah, pretty good. Um, all right, Martin, we end the podcast with trivia and fact corner. Uh, oh, yeah. And I throw a number at you and we see where the conversation goes. And this time I'm very excited about this. Uh, and I think it's both the greatest and the worst at once. So um, the number is 55 euros. So what could that be? Mm, I mean, it could be many things. Uh, it's a I don't know, cost of a monthly subscription to something. That would be an expensive monthly subscription. I, I Possibly something for, for something very good, but no, Martin. That is the price of the new Pokemon Go Plus Plus, which is just a perfect name, incredible name, um, and it is a little device. Plus 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 plus. Yes, exactly. Wow, it's a little device that's part sleep tracker for the new Pokemon Sleep game that was hyped this week by Nintendo, uh, and I think it's incredible. You earn more points when you sleep. You, you sleep better. You get more points, and. Uh, yeah, you, this little device is essentially a sleep tracker. You actually don't have to have the device. You can just use your smartphone. Um, hmm. And they're saying, so right now, it's like just how long you sleep will give you points. But then um, your sleep data will somehow affect the game in some way in future, which is... Do you uh, turn into like the only way that you can catch a Snorlax is if you sleep <laughs> at least eight hours a day for three months? <laughs> That's, that is very good. Credit to you for thinking of... I hope Nintendo's listening. Um, a million yeah, it, dollars, please, wire to my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> you need that boat for scuba diving. Uh, no, I think... I like... like I, I want to put aside the fact it's like, oh, this company has your sleep data and, you know, bad things that happen. Yes, that is a problem. Like, let's, let's just leave that aside. The idea that companies are saying, you need to sleep better and you'll get rewarded in Pokemon for doing so. I really like it. I think that's cool. Um, the, the device itself, it looked very cute. You press the button and Pikachu is inside the device somehow. And it, he's like, Pika, Pika, and sort of whispers you to sleep. It's just, I really like it. I think I mean, it's great. Hits the spot. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can see it working. So the Pokemon Go plus plus is also useful in Pokemon Go as well. Um, I'm sorry. I stopped playing that game too long ago to know exactly what it means when they say you can use it to catch Pokemon. But, um, no release date yet for this game or the device, but it's it's this year. It's on both iOS and Android. And uh, yeah, 55 euros. So I don't know, maybe 50 bucks in America. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just really like that idea. I think that's great. <laughs> Weird enough to like it. Yeah. And also outrageously overpriced, but like, mm. let's, leave that, let's leave that aside. Um, but Martin, that is going to be a wrap here from Australia and from Berlin. Um, yeah, I have to thank the family friends here um, who are letting me in their uh, busy study. Um, and it was really uh, nice. I actually had a, a tour of um, the little home brew set up here, which is not a thing anyone does in Germany because beer is so cheap and so good. But yeah. uh, 
a lot of people in Australia do home brew um, completely mm. legally and you know set up with various uh, brewing equipments and bottling machines and uh, it's all very cool. I, 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 anyway, I tasted a sour of a, a sour beer and it was fantastic. Um, and I only had a little bit. That's why this podcast has still been on the completely on the rails. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, it would be fun if you were just like completely wasted, but. <laughs> We can do that maybe. We can do that for Christmas, maybe. One of these days, yeah. In studio together with some strong beers. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, Martin, uh, thanks for your thoughts. Uh, and as always, you can check out Martin at Tecata. Your new video this week um, is a banger. Um, I think I saw. I think I saw two hundred thousand views that, um, just just a few moments ago. Um, yeah, it's going really well. Yeah. So it's a, you've obviously hit on a good topic. Um, you can also obviously check out the Friday checkout on YouTube. You're also on Twitter at Tecata. I'm on Twitter at Tristan Reno, although I only ever lurk. Um, and uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, this podcast is completely sponsored, well, sponsored, supported by uh, Nebula subscribers. Uh, Martin, give them, give them a little shout out. Thank you, Nebula subscribers. You are the ones who finance the entire podcast, so we owe our allegiance to you 100%. <laughs> 100% true um, and yeah thanks to everyone for tuning in again and we'll catch you next Friday bye bye <laughs>